get into the word this morning. And uh, we're talking, we're going to jump back in. Um, we, we took a rightful little right-hand turn last week to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Amen. So uh, Josh did a great job last week bringing the word. But we're going to jump back into um, our series today called Paga. And um, I, did you get the thing for that? Okay. All right. So once again, I, I utterly make it difficult for them to do their job back there. That's my fault, not theirs. So, um, so we started two weeks ago a message series called Paga, and I know that's a weird word. Some of you may have heard that. Some of you may have not have ever heard of that. Um, but that word Paga uh, is the Hebrew word for intercession. And so if you look in the Old Testament, uh, often when you see the word intercession or interceding, it's connected to that word paga. And, and the interesting thing about that word is that that word means a whole bunch of seemingly unrelated things. But when you put all of those seemingly unrelated things together, it paints a picture of prayer that, that is quite powerful and inspiring, actually. Um, but I need to do it today like I did in my first message. This is called paga. Where we're headed towards is talking about what that word means in multiple different ways, but we're not going to talk about that yet today because there's some more foundational things that I want to lay uh, in regard to that. But all what I'm doing last week, this week, and possibly next week is, is laying some roots so that when we get over there to talk about that, we're going to have a little bit of something behind it. It won't just be that random thing. So uh, that's what I want to talk about today. And so I'm going to give you my bottom line for this. Um, if you forget many things that I say today, which you probably will, remember this, that the spirit-filled way is revealed when we say, let us pray. Okay, and, and this is going back to our founded series from a few weeks ago, uh, just by way of reminder, or if you haven't been here. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about being founded, uh, and uh, then we went into a, a message series about the Holy Spirit called More, and all of these are all tied together. And we, we've been talking about walking in the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in, in order to know what it is that God wants us to do and to walk in the power to do that, that's going to come through prayer and that's going to come through intercession. Amen? So prayer and intercession and worship and those kind of things are, are the fuel uh, to the furnace that causes all of these other things to work. And so that's why we're talking so much about prayer right now. In our discipleship groups, we can come together and we can talk about discipleship things and we can discuss some scriptures and do all of that kind of stuff. But if there's no power behind that to, to empower those words that we're talking about, then we're just going through motions. And we don't want to go through motions here. We, we want to see a community transformed, right, for the kingdom of God. Amen? So that's not going to happen unless we really, really focus in uh, in a real way on prayer and intercession because that is, again, the fuel that drives everything else. And so if we want to know what the way that God wants us to work and what's, wants us, what he wants us to do, then that's going to be birthed. And, and there's literal, when we get over to Pagah, you'll see this is pretty amazing. That there, there's actually um, a, an essence of birthing in that, that through our prayers we birth a move of God. Through our prayers, we birth salvation into people's lives. Now, you're like, you're, you're just making that up. Now, I'll show you because it's really quite powerful. Okay, so we all right? Oh, okay, thank you. So if we want to know the way God wants, to wants us to walk, that's going to be birthed through prayer and intercession. The more we seek him, the more he's going to reveal to us, the more we will walk in his power, and, and that's what we want. Now, I'm going to share to you today 
If you're part of our discipleship groups, uh, John 15, 4 and 5, this was uh, one of our, our memory verses uh, in the last few weeks. And uh, I want to share that today, and we're going to talk about being uh, abiding in Christ and connecting into the vine. And I want to say this. I'm going to say just a little bit about this today because that's the kind of time I have. But if you want to dig into this a little bit more, go back to our YouTube page or Facebook and roll back to uh, some Wednesday teaching we did called Life in the Vine. And I did like eight or ten weeks on, on this particular chapter. And so it's a very good companion to this. So if you go back, look up Life in the Vine and just watch that series, it'll really help you. But there's a few specific things I wanted to say today about uh, abiding in Christ and how that relates to our prayer life. Amen. And so in John 15, 4 and 5, it says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, right? For without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. So what do you suppose Jesus meant by nothing? He meant nothing. I thought about throwing the Greek word up there, but the Greek word says nothing means nothing. So that doesn't add anything to the equation today. Nothing means nothing. So when Jesus says you can do nothing, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we, can't do, we, we can do nothing in the sense of living and breathing and that kind of thing. But if we're going to have any effect with our lives at all, in any way, shape, or form, the only way that's going to happen is if we are in a place of abiding in Christ. We have to be connected into the vine, right? And, and we have to have the life of the vine flowing through us in order for us to be able to do anything. Now, you might be like, well, that's kind of unfair. I should be able to do something. Well, even when Jesus was on the earth, he said himself, I do nothing except what I see my father doing. So I, I, I'm connected to my father. My father flows through me. And then I have an effect on the world. But it's not because of me. It's because of God in me. And the very same principle is what Jesus says here in John 15, 4 and 5. He says there's, there's nothing you can do that's going to have a lasting effect. You're not going to bear any real, real fruit in your life unless you are connected into a vine. Because, if, you know, if you have a nice, beautiful rose bush in your front yard and it's blooming and it's growing and you go out there and you clip the rose off of that, very shortly that, you know, because we like that, right? We'll clip the rose off and we'll put it in a little vase and put it up on the counter or something. But that, that rose will live and will continue to, 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 to uh, bear fruit of itself, you might say. But as soon as you clip that off from its roots, then all of a sudden it may live for a moment, but eventually it's just going to wilt away and die. Amen? The life that's in it even is going to begin to go away. And so Jesus says if you want to bear fruit, if you want to make a difference in your life, the only way you're going to do that is if you are connected into me. Amen? And so you're like, well, what does it have to do with prayer? It has a whole lot to do with prayer. But here's the thing about abiding. Everybody say abide. abide. My parents brought me to church when I was seven years old. We started going to church. And I used to, I used to hear this word all the time. In fact, the reason I heard it the most was because we had these redback hymnals. And, and, and that's all we ever sang out of was, was the Redback Hymnals. In fact, I was talking to David about this this morning. And we had this song in the Redback Hymnal, and it was called He Abides. Okay, now, we don't sing it too much anymore, but I, some of you guys that have been around the church for a while, you would know this. And, and ha there's a thing about worship leaders. We didn't call them worship leaders back then. We just called them song leaders back in those days. But they're going to generally, they're going to sing the songs they like more than all the rest of the songs, right? So... Uh, we had two, uh, two worship leaders. One was Richard, one was Paul most of the time. 
And both of them, I think this was their favorite song. And so they would sing this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that was back in the Pentecostal days, right? So they get excited singing about this song, and then they just take off running out the back door. And it's like, well, there goes, there goes Richard again. So, and you go and you run around the building because he's just so happy because of the, the song. He just got to do something, right? And so we'd sing the song, he abides, he abides, hallelujah, he abides in me. And when I'm like seven, eight, nine years old, I'm looking at these words in the song going, I don't know what everybody's so excited about because I have no idea what that even means. And if I knew what it meant, I don't even know how you'd do it because how do you abide? I mean, so, so I would go to my teacher or the, the pastor or whatever, and I'd say, well, okay, it's apparent to me that I'm supposed to abide in Jesus and he's supposed to abide in me, but what is that? And I say, well, abide means to remain. In fact, we'll bring up the definition here for you. It means to remain. So you got to remain. Okay. All right. So I got to remain in Jesus. Jesus has to remain in me. Again, I'm a kid. And even as an adult, I'm a little slow. Sometimes I'm slow. Okay. So I say, you got to remain. I'm go- okay. I'll, I'll, so what? remain what? How do, how do I abide in somebody I can't see? How do I abide in someone that's not here? I'm not even sure what it means to remain. Remain in me. When I'm supposed to climb inside of Jesus and sit in there, I don't know. So I say, what does that mean? They say, well, it means to be in Christ. A lot of times in the church, we have these high and lofty concepts of things, Right? But half the church doesn't even know what we're talking about. But everybody's running around excited about it. So we go, I guess I'll get excited about it too because I don't want anybody to know. I don't know, what, well, I don't know what we're talking about here. He abides in me. What does that mean? And we have all of these religious things. And when I was growing up as a kid, I was just like, could somebody just tell me how to do this? Like all these platitudes and all that kind of stuff. Can somebody just tell me how I'm supposed to do this? Because... He says in the chapter that I can't do anything unless I'm in him and he's in me. And I, how am I, I don't know how to do it, so can somebody just tell me how to do it? Well, you just abide in him. So I, I ran around a long time knowing that this verse, this passage in John 15 was super important. I just didn't know what to do with it. And so I just run around saying he abides in me and I abide in him, I guess. But then over the years... It started to, like, come to me, and it's like, okay, there's actually practical things you can do to do this. Because in our walk with God, there's the spiritual side, and then there's the practical side, right? It's like God will do this and this and this and the glory spout and the kabod and the, and, and the, and, and the glory cloud and all this kind of, and there, we were joking about that this morning, the glory spout's pouring out and all this kind of stuff, and we're like, I don't see anything. I don't see any glory spout. I don't see any glory. I don't see any kabod. I don't even know what kabod is. It's the weightiness of God. Okay, God is fat. I don't know what any of this means. There's a practical side. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the practical side because if you get the practical side, the spiritual kicks in, and then all of a sudden, God will start bearing fruit in your life in ways that maybe you didn't even know before. Some of you are like, I know what it means to abide, and I'm already doing it. Good. He says in John 15, and I'm not going to read all these verses today, but he says, if you're bearing fruit, that's good. We, we have to come to an understanding that whatever fruit we're bearing in our life, it's not, it's not enough, that he wants to bear more. It's not that we're not enough. It's that his purpose for us is to bear more fruit. So if we're bearing fruit, he'll prune us, and he wants to bear more fruit. 
And then when we're bearing more fruit, then he'll prune us a little bit more so that we can bear more fruit because he wants us to bear a lot of fruit. He wants your life to impact nations. Now, when I say that, people go, hallelujah, woo, and we should, but we don't really believe it down on the inside. It's just a, it's another platitude. That we, we are here to change nations. That we are here to see Coos County transformed into the image of Christ. And we look at that and go, woo, yeah, all right, good. I don't really believe that. But I want you to know that that's what he wants to do in us. I, I've had this phrase running around in my head for weeks now, and I'm going to talk about it more somewhere in this series. But what God wants to do at the refuge doesn't begin with nations, but it surely will end with nations. It doesn't begin with nations, but surely it will end with nations. And we have to change our mindset, and we have to come into a place of, of, of uh, an attitude towards God that says, okay, God, what is it that you want in us that we, what we can walk into so that we can actually do that? We, we have a county to transform here. And when this county is transformed, then we're just going to keep on moving out, moving out, moving out until we reach nations. Amen. But again, you cannot do that unless you have a fiery prayer furnace burning individually and corporately. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about what this abiding thing is. And then I want to talk a little bit about how you practically do it every day so that it's not some kind of ethereal thing out there in the atmosphere somewhere. And you're trying to, like, just grab onto it. Okay, so... So I want to read this verse one more time, then we're going to jump in for real. Abide in me, and I in you. This is Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. See, we need to, we need to, get, we need to know our role. Okay? I'm not, I'm not the vine. Neither are you. So we need to stop running around trying to be the vine. Everybody look at me. I've got the answers. I could do this. I could do that. We can't do anything. We're branches. Okay? So he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. Now I want you to notice he says two things, and those two things are not the same. They are different. He said, he who abides in me and I in him. Those are two different things. Bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Okay? So let's start with this abiding thing. This, this abiding, what does it mean to abide? Now, there's three aspects of this, and I'm just going to say this very quickly because I don't want to spend time on this. There's abiding in reference to place, abiding in reference to time, and abiding in reference to state or condition. Okay, so in reference to uh, a place, it means to sojourn, I'm going somewhere, or I'm waiting somewhere. Okay, it means not to depart. So if you go home and you're abiding in your home, it means I'm going there and I'm staying there. I'm not, when I get there, I'm not moving, I'm not leaving, I'm staying right there, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, let's go on to this next one then. In reference to time, it means to continue to be, not to perish, to last, or to endure, okay? So, in, in the sense of time, it's not so much that I'm in a place, and I'm staying in a place, it's that I am enduring in what it is that I'm doing. I set my face to something, and I stay on that path, and I don't go to the left or to the right of that path. I, 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 in reference to time, I am going, and I continue, and I continue, and I continue, and I continue. When I get buffeted from the left, I continue. When I get hit from the right, I continue. When the warfare comes, I continue. When the devil's talking in my ear, I continue. When I wake up and I don't feel like I want to continue, I continue. That's what it means to abide in reference to time. Let's go on to the next one, please. In reference to 
a state or a condition, it means to remain as one, not to become another or to be different. And then it means to wait or await, await one. Now, you're, you're like, what is that all about? Well, this, this one, uh, in, in reference to time and state and place and all of that, there is a consistency that is very, very important. Okay, now this word minnow, minnow, right? This word, we might go, well, why, are you, why would you focus on that word? Because that word in this chapter is in there 11 times. So if John says 11 times in one chapter, he talks about remaining or abiding, then it probably should catch our attention. In fact, this word is like really, really important to John because not only is it 11 times in this chapter, but 40 times in the Gospel of John, 40 times he talks about abiding. He references this. Okay, and if you look in all of his other writings besides the gospel, he uses this word remain 27 times. Okay, and so you add that all up and you realize that John is trying to tell us something about abiding in Christ and the importance of that. And the importance of it probably tags back to what Jesus is saying right here in verse 15. He says the whole key to this thing, the whole key to everything Where's the signs and the wonders? Where's the healing? Where's the miracles? Where's the, where's the God talking to me? Where's the revelation? Where's the worship? Where is it all? It's all in the abiding. It's all in the remaining. Amen? Okay? And so when we look at this, you got to realize this is the key to everything. Now, I, 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 I emphasize this. Because once again, we'll, we'll talk about prayer, and then when we're done with this series, we'll move on to something else. We'll talk about abiding, then we'll move on to something else, and we'll talk about that. And we will lose sight of what it is that we're talking about right now. And if we lose sight of what I'm going to talk about today, then you've lost it all because this is where everything is centered. This is where it's centered. Okay, Abiding in Christ and him abiding in us. Now, I know, I know I'm taking a little time on this little intro here, but I'm trying to, I'm, I want to get this point across, okay? Everything, it's the most important thing of your life. The most important thing in your life is to abide in Christ and to have him abide in you. Now, now what do we do in our life? Well, I'm a parent, so my kids are the most important thing in my life. You are doing your kids no justice if you have them in the place where God should be in your life. If you have a husband or a wife, you say, well, my husband is my everything. My wife is my everything. If your husband or your wife is your everything, then you're doing it wrong because you're putting them in a place where God should be. My job, my money, my house, my leisure activity, my church, my ministry. If you've got your ministry up there because my ministry is taking my place of my relationship with God, you're wrong, and that ministry probably is not going to bear any fruit and will certainly come to an end. So do you guys hear what I'm saying this morning? The abiding is more important than everything. It's more important than your marriage. It's more important than your parenthood. It's more important than your job, your church, your ministry. It's more important than your health, your life. Your in more important than anything else is that you abide in Christ and he abides in you. Now, some will be like, you're being overdramatic. I'm not because everything flows from here. Why does it flow from here? Because he is the vine. We are the branches. If we are not connected to the vine, there can be no life anywhere else. As soon as the branch becomes disconnected from the vine, there is no more, there's no longer life in it. 
It may look like there's life in it for a moment. You know, we, we, I, I buy my wife some flowers. We put them up on there, and it looks like there's life. They bud, and they bloom, and they're beautiful. But in a few days, I know they'll be dead because the moment they're cut off, death comes in. So Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, so you have to abide in me. Now, if you happen to have your notes, I got them out late. We have notes back there if you'd like them. Um, there, there's two things that God wants to do in the abiding. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit quickly from here probably. There's two things that God wants to accomplish in the abiding, us and him and he and us. And that is, that's my first thing here is that he wants fellowship and he wants fruit. He wants fellowship and he wants fruit. Now, you may write next to that if you want to scribble in there the upward and the outward. The upward and the outward. He wants fellowship and he wants fruit. Now, I'm going to say some things in a simplistic way today and some people will go, well, no, no, it's about this and that. Listen, I know it's more about, it's about more than I'm saying, but I'm just trying to make some points, okay? Salvation, salvation in its core. Jesus died on the cross, rose again. There's two key things that, that that occurred for, okay? Two things, okay? The first one is this. Salvation in simple sense came because God wants an intimate. Now, listen to me because this is very, very important. Some of you in the room this morning, if you will get this, it will change your whole perspective on everything about God because, because we have faulty belief systems about how God looks at us. And when you have a faulty belief system about how God looks at you, then you, you can't pray effectively. You can't walk your walk out with God effectively because you don't see God the way that he sees you. Okay? So salvation in its simplest sense is that God wants an intimate relationship of love with you. That's what, it, that's what the whole, he did not save you. In, in its core, the very beginnings, okay, now that we're going to flow from this, but he didn't save you so that you could do stuff for him. That's part of it, but that comes later. He saved you because he loves you. You'll notice in John 3, 16, it does not say, for God, God so wanted you to go out and do a bunch of work for him that he sent his son to die on the cross. He wanted you to go out and slave your life away be guilty about sin every day of your life, feel condemned and broken, but you go out and do stuff for him anyway, and then that's why Jesus sent his son to die on a cross. But again, that's how we view him sometimes, as a slave driver. He gave us, he gave us salvation, and then he drives us into slavery, and, and we, we, we either are under condemnation because we're not good enough for him, or we're not doing enough for him, so we got to go out and do more, 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 so that God will love us. But at its core, salvation is that God wants to have an intimate relationship of love with you. Everybody say it with me. Say it loud. With me. Because we'll go, with Lizian. But I know who I am. No, with me. With you. Jesus died on the cross. That's why, we, that's why we did the whole thing last week when Jesus was talking about the death and the resurrection of Christ. He did that because God loved you and he wanted to have a relationship with you. Now that in and of itself, we could just pray right there and go home because that's more mind-blowing and beyond any comprehension that we could ever have to try to figure that out. And if we could spend, I, I love this, the old song, uh, if, I had, if I could write um, a, a thousand tongues, if I had a thousand tongues to sing, 
If I had a thousand tongues, I could not sing of my Savior's love for me. Right? You can meditate on it. You can study it. You can Greek it out. You can go to Bible studies. You can sing the songs. And we will still never comprehend that God would love us so much that he would send his son to die on a cross. And not only did he die on a cross, but then he says, I want you to come be a part of my family. I want you to come be a part of my family. Okay? Watch this. In Romans 8, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Say, I'm a son. If you're a son, say, I'm a daughter. We are sons and daughters of God. Why? Because I live my life perfectly, spotlessly holy. No, I am a son of God. We are sons and daughters of God because he loves us. All who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received. Everybody say, I didn't receive it. Say it out loud. I didn't receive it. Come on, church. Work with me this morning. Say, I didn't receive that. Because some of you are walking around in fear all the time, and, and, and that didn't come from God. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Abba means daddy. It's not some hyper-spiritual word. It means daddy. Just like Judah and Addie when they ran up here before. They don't care what you guys are thinking or doing. They don't run up and give grandpa a hug. They have access. Right? They just run up. Papa. I went and watched Judah play baseball. My grandson is playing baseball. I don't know how that could be, but... He's playing baseball, and I walk up. He's in the game. He's got the helmet on and everything. I walk up, and he goes, Papa! I got a, you got a game going on over there, buddy. Yeah, but I need a hug. That's good. That's the spirit we receive with God when we come into this relationship with him. Verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I can get one amen on that. You, you are an heir of God's glory. Do we need to stand up and walk around the room and wake up this morning? Again, we got these verses and we read them and we go, oh, that's a verse. There's a verse. He read a verse. No, this is life-changing. I am an heir to the glory of God. The inheritance of the glory of God belongs to me through Christ because God loves me, inexplicably so. He loves me. In Hebrews, it talks about us being heirs of the world through Christ. This world, this world is ours through Christ because he loves us. That, see, that's got to change your perspective on the way that you pray. Because often we won't run into prayer like, oh, God, here I am. Please don't squish me. Or we're so condemned that we don't even go into prayer. I can't pray now. I sin too much. I can't worship today. I, I, I messed up too badly. 
Listen, he already knew you messed up before you messed up. You run into his presence because you're a son of God. You are a daughter of God through Jesus. That's what salvation is about. Okay? So watch this. The key principle of abiding in Christ is an understanding that our love relationship with him is the most important thing. Because, again, we follow God for so many different reasons. Maybe we follow God because someone told us we were going to hell and I don't want to go to hell. So I'll, I'll, I'll do this Christian thing. Or maybe you want a blessing because you turned on the TV and the TV preacher told you you could get a new car if you follow Jesus. So I follow Jesus so I can get a new car. Or maybe you read about the rewards that come from God for your service to him. And so you say, I want the rewards. I want the blessing. I want the healing. I want all the stuff. And that's why I follow God. I go to church because that's where my friends hang out. Right? We, we, we do all of these things. We say, you know, in our heart, this is why we follow God. But we have to come back to the simplest thing. The most important thing about our following God is just understanding that he loves us and he wants to hang around with us. And that in that place of him loving us and us hanging around with him, there is life. There is life. And there is life nowhere else than that. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and life abundantly, not just a little bit of life. I came to give you life abundantly. How do you tap into that? You tap into it by being rooted into him. No other way. You're not going to get it by going to the refuge church or by hearing a sermon that I speak or singing a song. You're only going to get it when you are connected in, in an abiding, remaining, in Christ relationship with him. And we should treasure that more than anything else in the world. That should be our greatest, our greatest of treasures. That I can say, I have a relationship with God. Now, see, some of this is kind of like, man, this is all like very simplistic. Why is he preaching this? Because I think 90% of us still don't get it, even though we've been walking with God for decades. We're always like, there's got to be something else. Remember Mary and Martha. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus doing nothing from a human perspective. And Martha's over there making sandwiches and making the crystal light so they got something good and cold to drink and putting together a potato salad and doing all this stuff. And she's like, Jesus, tell Mary to come over here because we have to work more. And Jesus is like, she's doing the right thing. What do you mean she's doing the right thing? She's not doing anything. She's just sitting there listening to you. That's the right thing. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but Mary has chosen the, the best thing. You're never wasting your life. You are never wasting your life when you are pouring your life out at the feet of Jesus. To the entire world, it looks like you're wasting your life. Why do you spend so much time praying? Why do you spend so much time going to church? Why do you spend so much time reading that book? Why do you spend so much time hanging out with those people? Because I know that that is where my life is. That helps me to connect into the, the, the vine so that I can have life flowing through me. And I have access to that only because he loves me. So the number one reason for salvation is God wants an intimate relationship of love with us. The number two reason is, is that he wants, to, he wants his relationship with you to be the conduit through which he, his life flows to others. I'm going to say that again because it stumbled on it and it's really, really good. 
God wants his relationship with you to be the conduit through which his life flows to others. Okay? Here's a little interactive. Here's the interactive part of today's message. Everybody look up. Try to, try to look at the lights. And then you see, you see these things that run from the beams over to the lights? Anybody see those? What is that? What does it do? What? No, it's not. Nope. That, that right there is just a pipe. Am I wrong? Jake knows a little bit about this stuff probably more than I do. Probably Doug does too. A few of you know more about this than I do. But I know this. We can put those pipes up there just like that. We can paint them up nice. We can bolt them up there so you don't really pay attention to them and all of that. But those lights will still not come on because they're just conduits. The conduits are useless unless you run the wires through them. Okay? You, you, can, you can just run the wires if you want to, but the code people will come by and say, that ain't going to work. Because wires don't just hang out all over the place. Wires need to go through a conduit. See, once again, we think we're the wires when we're really just the conduit. See, when we come into a relationship with God and he says, I love you and I want to come and give you life and life abundantly, and you get that life inside of you, then all of a sudden you become a conduit. Vine, branches, right? Vine goes up and down, branches go outward. We're, we're going, man, I wish the whole world would find Jesus. And Jesus is like, the world will find them when you become a conduit. Run over there so that my wires can run through you and change their life. Well, I don't know. I'm scared to say anything. I'm scared to do anything. What if they don't like me? Listen, you received the word of Jesus when somebody spoke to you. So why do we assume like nobody wants to accept Christ? You did. He changed your life. He made a difference in your life. Why would we assume that other people don't want that very same thing? And so we just take our pipeline and we go whoop, pink, and we connect it over to somebody else. And then we say, all right, Jesus, here I am. Run through me. Run through me. The life that you've put into me, let that run through me to them. Okay, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to be a conduit. He doesn't want you to be like, like oh, well, what if, I, what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Well, I promise you something. You're going to pray for someone and they're not going to get healed if you're praying for them because you're just a conduit. You're taking a pipe and putting it up and saying, why is there no electricity? And you have to realize it's, not, it's me praying, but my prayer is only a conduit for the power of God to come through so that I can believe, God, I can't heal anybody. I can't save anybody. I can't change anybody. I can't deliver anybody. But if I put myself out there as a branch and I allow you to come through me, then anything is possible. That's where the abiding is. And see, there's a, mm, I hope this comes across right now. There's something in the abiding that will bring you the confidence to become a conduit. What we're doing in the church too much is we're saying, hey, just run out and save somebody. And people don't have confidence because they're not really connected in to the point where you're just like, I could change the world. You see, what, what should happen tomorrow is you should wake up tomorrow and the first thought in your brain should be, Oh, I could change the world today. Something could happen through my life that ultimately affects nations. 
I was reading a thing about Mordecai Ham the other day. There's this whole process of things, but there's a guy named Mordecai Ham. Some of you may know who he is, but do, do you, who knows who Mordecai Ham is? Joyce does. Joyce does because Joyce is brilliant and she knows everything. <laughs> How many of you know who Billy Graham is? See, we look at Billy Graham and go, oh, wow, Billy Graham, you're so awesome. Mordecai Ham's the guy that preached the message that Billy Graham got saved at. So all the fruit of Billy Graham's ministry goes back to a guy nobody's ever heard of. Because we think we have to go out and be the Billy Grahams, and God may use you as a conduit to touch one person that might go out and change the whole nations. And then when God looks at you, he'll go, you, you did that to the nations. You go, I didn't do anything. said, you reached out to that one. We have the ability through our abiding in Christ and him abiding in us to shake nations, to change nations, to change governments, to overthrow government. I'm not talking about warfare and all that for anybody to get all freaky on me. I'm talking about spiritual battles. All we ever do on Facebook, oh, I'm getting myself in trouble here. I'm going to run in there and lock myself in the door. But we're all on Facebook. Oh, this and that, and Joe Biden this, and Joe Biden that, and Donald Trump this, and Donald Trump that. Listen, we would have more effect on, we have no effect on any of that posting on Facebook. None of it. I'll just tell you, you've never changed anybody's mind posting stuff on Facebook. Never. You just made people mad, more mad. We just want us to shut up and not say anything? No, we need to say things, but we need to understand that there's more power in our prayer to change those things than anything else. Post away. Post away. But understand, you're not changing anybody's mind. We're only sowing more division. But one word posted under the inspiration of God could start changing all sorts of people. We as a church, well, I'm sorry, this is a little side. I'm fully getting myself in trouble right here. But as a church, we have got so, so sucked in, like stupid sheep, sucked in to the racial divides and sucked in to the political divides and sucked into the cultural divides that we have forgotten the God that we serve is the only way that that's going to be changed. The only way. But all of a sudden, we think all of this is the most important thing. And it's not. Because it's all very, very problematic. It's all very problematic. I'm not denying that it's all very problematic. I'm denying the way that we are approaching it. Because we're not changing anybody. And we, we don't come back to the simplest of thoughts that if my people who are called by my name will humble us and pray and seek my face, turn from their, their wicked ways their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Their, their, our wicked ways. We've been sucked into this so hard that we think that the Republicans and or the Democrats, depending on your viewpoint, are the Messiah. And Jesus is just a little side issue to the real fight which is getting our Messiah, the Republicans, in there, or our Messiah, the Democrats, in there, depending on what your viewpoint is. 
I will. And then I'm going to go run in there, like Gideon. I'm going to go hide in my uh, threshing floor. We can have more effect with one inspired word of God than any of these other things that we're doing. One inspired word of God than any of these things. God wants his relationship with you to be the conduit through which he flows to others. Okay, so in that respect, abiding in Christ is essential because abiding in Christ is the place where prayer is answered. Let me bring it back here to the word. So maybe you'll forget by the end of this. You're mad at me. It's in your notes. Abiding in Christ is the place where your prayer is answered. How do I get my prayers answered? Abide in Christ. How can you say that, Pastor? What if you're wrong? I'm not wrong. In fact, I know for sure that I'm right. Because John 15, 7 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Do you know that Jesus meant that? Well, where's my new Bugatti? I prayed and asked God to give me a new car. If you're asking for that kind of stuff, you're not abiding in him. You're abiding in you. If you're abiding in Christ, what he wants will be what you want. And if you ask God to give you what he wants to give you, he doesn't have a problem giving it to you. I got two amens on that. Thanks, Bruce. Do you know that God has no problem giving you what God already wants to give you? He just needs you to ask him for it. But you're not going to ever ask him for the right things when your thought and all that is based on what you think and what you want. So that's where the abiding comes in. I abide in him. I get his mind, and then I ask from his mindset, I ask him to give me things that I know he wants me to have. And then he goes, I love you so much, I'm just going to give you that. And all of a sudden, you run around going, I get my prayers answered all the time. And other people are going, I never get my prayers answered. What's the secret? I hang out with God. It can't be that easy. It's got to be something else. Give me the seven steps to an effective prayer life and getting all your prayers answered. Because there's got to be seven steps or five steps or something. There's got to be a book out there. Recommend a book for me. Here's my recommendation. Spend a bunch of time with God. Spend a bunch of time with Jesus. If you want to read a book, get in this one. I'm not against other books. But I'm saying the more that you get the mind of Christ, it affects the way that you pray. And then when you pray, God answers your prayer because your prayer is his heart. Your prayer is his heart. Okay? So it's the place where prayer is answered. But I want you to notice in John 15, 7, is that we got that up there, right? What's that first word say? Say it again, out loud. If. It's up to you. Well, if God's going to do it, I guess he'll just do it. So I'm just going to sit here on my backside, and I'm going to wait for God to move. It doesn't work like that. If my people who are called by my name, if you abide in me, if, 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 if. We, we want to put off on God. We want to live dead, dry Christian lives with no fruit and then blame it on God because his sovereignty won't move in us. Well, God's just sovereign. If he wanted to move, he would move. Right, Jake? Am I right? Jake and I talk about this stuff all the time. God's just sovereign. If he wanted to save Coos County, he would just save Coos County. So we'll just sit around like a bunch of Eeyores. Coos County's going to hell in a handbasket. I guess if God loved us, he would do something. And God's up there going, why don't you ask me? Why don't you ask me? Because you're sovereign, God. It doesn't work that way. It does. God, I, I read this phrase, and it's a, little, it's a little extreme, I guess, but I think it's true. 
God does nothing in the affairs of man except for an answer to prayer or the lack of prayer. God does nothing in the affairs of man except an answer to prayer or in the lack of prayer. So what happens is because we're praying or because we're not. I think a lot of what's going on in our country right now, I'll let you decide what you think that's connected to. And maybe we should correct course. So number one, it's the place where prayer is answered. Number two, prayer abiding in Christ, excuse me, abiding in Christ and him and us is the place where we make our life count. It is the place where we make our life count. How can I make my life count by just spending a lot of time with God and abiding in him when I'm not really out doing very much? How does that make my life count? Because God takes everything else of your life, he takes that part that you give to him and he uses that to affect everything else. Okay? He, he, he makes your life count the more that you abide in him, the more that your life will count. And who honestly at the core, I know we're in this ho-hum, stupid mindset in our world right now. Oh, you know, I don't want to leave a legacy. I just want to, you know, I just want to humbly follow God. And it doesn't matter if I just want a cabin on the backside of heaven. Listen, I don't want a cabin on the backside of heaven. I want a 500-room mansion. Well, that's presumptuous, Pastor. No, it's not. He told me I could have one. Am I, am I... Am I preaching heresy this morning? If you abide in Christ, you make your life count. Now watch this. Why do I say that? Because in John 15, 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Verse 16 says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. By the way, that word remain there is the same as abide. It's, it's that same word, meno, which means it won't go away. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to done here, so I think. God's desire is that you would bear much fruit. And the more fruit that you bear for him, the more you go, man, my life matters. My life matters. My life matters because not only did God, my life matters because God loves me and he saved me. But now that he's loved me and he's saved me, he's using me to be a conduit so that I can go out and reach all sorts of people. And I can see people set free and see people healed and see people delivered and see people saved and brought out of darkness and into the light. And I'm standing on the edge of hell, snatching people out of hell on their way in, throwing them out and saying, hey, you take care of them. I'm going to grab some more people. That's where your life matters. Your life doesn't matter because you have a cool job that pays a lot of money. That's meaningless. It's meaningless. When you die, all of that goes away. When you, when you die, the only thing that will be in heaven is the people that you touched and helped to get there. Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up your treasures in heaven where moth cannot Excuse me, rust cannot destroy, right? This is the place, when you abide in Christ and him in you, this is the place where your life really counts, okay? So let me say just a couple quick practical things here, and then, then we're going to pray. 
everything that I've said so far, if I stopped right now, it might make you think, okay, that's all fine and good, but I still don't know how to do it. So I see the benefits of it. I see that it's important, but how do I do it? So that's why I want to hit you here with real quickly. And I, I want to share this. We, we sang about this this morning. I've referenced it. Romans 8, 28. It says, all things work together for good to him who loves God. And they've been called according to his purpose, right? So I want to share with you some quick things right here. But I want you to know that none of these are more or less important. They all work together. But the, I mean, I'm going to try to be very quick at giving them to you. But I want you to know this. They all work together. So I don't want to be like, because the next point, I gave that one first and then this one second. That, that means this one's more important. All of these things have to go together. Okay? How do you practically abide in Christ and have him abide in you? Now, here's, something, here's some things that you can do. Okay? First one is this. Point number two, prayer, excuse me, praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. You, you should probably amen me on that because you're going to hear it like 5,000 times this year. Praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. How do I abide in Christ? Praise and prayer. How does he abide in me? Praise and prayer. How do I make my life count? Praise and prayer. How am I going to bear fruit that remains? Praise and prayer. Okay? Now, when you look in Revelation 5.8, I'm not going to talk about this. Go check out a Revelation study of chapter 5. You can get more in depth on this. In Revelation 5.8, it says that the elders that are around the throne, are they, they have a harp in one hand, and they've got a golden bowl of incense in the other hand. You're going to think I'm weird, but when I just said that, all my hair just stood up. And when you look at that, there's a representation there, and it's clearly, it's, it actually literally says it, so we're not confused, because everybody confuses everything. It says the, the harp, what does a harp do? A harp is for worship. A harp is always for worship. There's really no place in the scripture where a heart is not, harp is not really truly connected to worship. And then it says, in the other hand, there's a golden bowl full of incense. So then we're like, well, what's that mean? And it says, these are the prayers of the saints. You know why it says that? Because God knew that someday there was going to be a, a preacher named Tom, and he's going to be too stupid to figure out what that meant. So he's like, there's a golden bowl full of incense, and because Tom's going to be here, I'm going to let you know that's the prayers of the saints. Because he won't figure it out. So you got this picture in heaven of praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. And what I, I don't have time to talk about this. We talked a little bit about it in the Revelation study. That the prayers that are going up and the worship that's being offered, even the worship of giving their lives to Christ, during that time, the praise and the prayer. Everybody say praise and prayer. Just didn't want you to forget that I said that. Praise and prayer is going up, and it's clear from the book of Revelation that when the praise and the prayer are going up, that's causing a response from the throne room of God. In fact, you see in, in Revelation 8, there's that incense is burning. The angel goes over and takes coals off of that altar where that incense is burning, flings them down to the earth, and God shakes the nations in judgment. So it's clear scripturally that praise and prayer ascend to the Father, and when they get to the Father, it causes a response from the throne room of heaven. Now, again, that's a whole lot better than you thinking you're praying to the ceiling. I just pray, and I don't feel like it's going anywhere. Now, listen to me. If you're, mm, I don't know if you see that or not, 
But when you're praying, and you're praying with a, a true abiding heart before Christ, you need to know this. That prayer goes directly from your mouth to the throne room of God, and there will be a response. There will be a response. How do I know that? Well, because right there in Revelation, there's a picture of it, how that works. Just keep praying. Listen, church, just keep praying. Just keep abiding. Because I've been praying. I've been praying for my lost loved ones. I've been praying for healing. I've been praying for this. Just keep praying. Because your prayers are not hitting the wall. They're not going up to the ceiling and falling down. They are ascending like incense into the throne room of God. And there will be a response. Your job is to keep abiding in him in the meantime. In, in Luke 11, we talked about in the last message, um, and I'm not going to go to Luke 11, but the, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. Here's how you pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, now you know what hallowed is because you're all brilliant Bible scholars. But again, when I was a little kid, I would hear hallowed, and I'd be like, I don't know what hallowed means. I don't know. Is that like Halloween? Am I supposed to carve a pumpkin? I don't know what that means. I, I like the New Living Translation when it says, Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And he says, when you pray, start that thing off with worship. Just start it off with worship. What, what does Philippians say? Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? What, what is the thanksgiving? That's praise. That's worship. Now watch this. I hope, I hope somebody will grab this today because I'm almost done. This is, the next things that I say are the best part of this whole message, okay? When we praise, there are some effects that come with that. Scripturally speaking, this is not just Pastor Tom making up something for effect. Scripturally speaking, our praise has a real world effect. The first effect that it has is that God is enthroned in it. We've lost sight of that. That's why there's only one amen there. God is enthroned in our... Do you know when we sing, this is a house of healing, this is a house of miracles, when we sing that, come alive in the name of Jesus, everything in the name of Jesus, do you know that when we sing those songs that scripturally, Psalm 22 verse 3, says that God is enthroned in that, do you know that you become a fragrance to him like incense? Come on, church. Let's wake up this morning. When we worship him, we attract his presence to us. I can't find God anywhere. I don't know where God's at. He seems so distant. How about start praising him instead of complaining? How about saying, God, I just worship you today. The enemy is hitting me on the north, south, east, and west. I'm fighting. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I, I'm, I'm, I can't get along with my wife. I can't get along with the kids. My job's not going well, but I'm just going to open up my mouth, and I'm going to start praising you. You attract. Now, now, but, now the, there's, a op, there's an opposite effect when we complain and we moan and we groan is that we repel. We attract, we attract the spirit with our moaning and our groaning and our complaining, but it's not the one that you're looking for. Because we invite the enemy right into our life through our complaining and our moaning and our groaning. But if in the midst of your fire and your struggle and whatever it is that you're battling, in the midst of that, if you just start saying to yourself, come alive in the name of Jesus, everything in the name of Jesus, I am a house of miracles. 
in the middle of your mess, if you just, if you just say, just say, then sings my soul. I'm way out of key here. Sing it with me anyway. Then sings my soul. My, come on, church. Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. See, when we do that, God goes, I'm going to go over here. Somebody over here is, someone over here is saying what I'm looking to hear. So you're like, oh, you're just making that stuff up. No, it says you are holy. You are enthroned in the praises of your people. When you pray, when we praise, I, I shared a little bit, of, and I'm gonna, I'll tell you why here in a second, but I shared a little bit about this on Thursday because it's like when some people, our prayer meeting on Thursday is not your normal sit around in a circle. I keep saying that. It's It's loud, obnoxious worship and, and people people over there praying and people over here praying and people up here at the mic praying and people on the floor crying and weeping and holy rolling and whatever it is they're doing. That's what that prayer meeting is. And people say, well, I don't know why you guys got to be all like that. And it's because I know that when we do that, it draws the attention of God. I'm not doing that because I need another, another night to sing songs because, to be honest with you, since we started all this, my voice is like barely on recovery mode before I get back to Sunday. It's not that I need to do this because I just want to play more music. It's because I know that when we come together in one accord and we begin to worship God, it's a fragrant aroma to him, and he's attracted to that. Now, some of you won't connect to this, but yesterday Josh and I went out and we were trying to help our pastor from Coquille move some stuff. He's, he's hurt and he couldn't move, so we were at his house. And his wife started cooking dinner while we were there, and she was cooking bacon on the griddle. And, and, and we're looking at guitars. After, after we were done, he's showing us some guitars and stuff, and it's like, you know, it's in the cartoon when you float up and the twinkle toes, and you're like, blah, 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 blah. It was a fragrant aroma. Our praise is that to God. It draws his attention. The number two thing. Now, man, uh, as if that wasn't good enough. When we praise, this is in your notes, Jesus joins us, speaks to us, and praises with us. He joins us, speaks to us, and praises with us. Now, some of you may have heard this before. Some of you never have. In the New King James, it's hard to really read it because of the way it's worded. So I want to read this to you from the Living Bible. In Hebrews 2, 11 to 13, it says this. We who have been made holy by Jesus now have the same Father that he has. That's good news. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. For he says, who says? Say it again. Who said it? Not Pastor Tom, right? Jesus said it. It says this. Um, lost my place. For he says in the book of Psalms, I will talk to my brothers about God and my Father. 
and together we will sing his praises. At another time, he said, I will put my trust in God along with my brothers. And at another time, see, here am I in the children that God gave me. Do you see verse 12? When we praise, Jesus comes and he starts talking to us. When we praise, Jesus comes and he starts hanging out with us. When we praise, Jesus, I remember the first time that I read this and I like, because I'd read Hebrews a lot of times and it's word, you know, Hebrews is a hard book. I mean, to me at least. It, you, know, you know, over the years I've kind of gotten it, I think, I hope. But it, at, at first glance, Hebrews is kind of a hard book because, you know, priesthoods and Melchizedek and there's all this stuff and it's like, what in the world's going on there? But I remember the first time that I, I read that passage and I, and I heard what it actually meant, I, I didn't believe it. I heard a person preaching about it, and I'm like, that, that can't be true. That, that just doesn't fit my religious brain. That can't be true. That when I praise, Jesus comes and he hangs out with me and he praises with me. That can't be true. When I praise, Jesus comes and he starts talking to me. I mean, that can't be true. And yet, Hebrews says that very thing. It says, when we praise. Because what is the book of Psalms? Psalms is praise. It's what it is. Okay? So he says in the book of praise, I'll talk to my brothers about God my Father, and together we will sing his praises. That's mind-blowing. When, when we're in here worshiping, because people are like, I don't know why you guys have to be so demonstrative in your worship. Why are you yelling? Why are you raising your hands? Why do you got to raise a flag? Just don't do the flag. Your church, you know how many times I've heard, I mean, some of the other folks in the church will know I'm telling the truth. How many times I've heard, your church is pretty good, but I don't want to come there because you guys wave them flags all the time, and I don't think, think, I think that's weird. I don't understand it. It's like, well, I hope you enjoy it at that church. Because I'm not changing. I don't know why everybody's got to be so loud all the time. If you guys would just calm down a little bit, your church would. I've heard this. Pastor, your preaching is really good, but I just can't handle your worship. It's too loud. It's too obnoxious. It's too crazy. And it's like, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm not sorry anymore. Because, listen, I know what he's done for me. I, I can't play my guitar loud enough to praise him for what he's done for me. I, can't, I couldn't do it. We can't sing loud enough. David can't bang on those keys or Josh beat on those drums loud enough. What does the word say? Praise the Lord with the loud cymbals. Because I know what he's done for me. And I also know that when we praise him like that, and it's not we're trying to put on a show or, or do it for the sake of doing it or watch me wave my flag or watch me sing my song. We're not good enough for any of that. But when you do that, I understand there's a principle that God says the Father comes and Jesus comes and praises with us. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers the worship. 
You got Father, Son, and Holy Ghost running around in the room every time we come together to praise. But even better than that, when you're at home by yourself or at work and you just start to praise God, the same Father, Son, Holy Ghost show up for that too. Number one, God is enthroned. Number two, Jesus joins us, speaks to us, and praises with us. Number three, and they're all super good, but this one gets my blood pumping, is that God strikes a blow and executes judgment on the enemy. When I praise. You know, we sing that song. I was going to tell Josh to sing it today, and I forgot, and it was too late. But um, you go before I do to win my war, and all I did was praise. There goes my hair again. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down, and God showed up and struck, executed judgment on my enemies. I didn't even have to pray that prayer, Lord, tear down the strongholds. I didn't have to pray that prayer. I just lifted my voice and started saying, God, you are holy. I just lifted my voice and started singing, how great you are. And all of a sudden, God shows up, and he strikes a blow against my enemy. Now, you're again, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I think you're making that up. Psalm 149. Now, I just want to point out, I'm not reading this from the message today, and, and I am on the cusp of done. Uh, I'm not reading this from the message, but Thursday at prayer, I read this from the message. And when it gets to the part about the, the, the high praises and the sword in your hand, it says, dance around with the wild sword dance. Like, that's why we dance. I just call it my wild sword dance. This, this Okay, read it. Shut up and read it, Pastor. It's getting late. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. That's you guys. O Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exalt in your king. Praise his name with dancing. It's in the book. Again, I grew up Pentecostal, and you couldn't dance unless the Holy Ghost hit you. So if you, if you just did a charismatic dance, you were of the devil because the Holy Spirit had to hit you and convulse your body. And then, then, we, would, then we would do that. And then we say, I danced in the Lord. But if you danced any other way, then that didn't count. And I, I grew up in that. So I always thought that. Look at those people dance. That's, that's not good. And then I was reading the Bible one day, and I was like, it doesn't say anything about that. It just says do it. I don't have to hold Oh, I don't have to have the Holy Ghost hit me to sing. You cannot sing a song in church unless the Holy Ghost hits you and just takes over your vocal cords. How dumb is that? You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't play an instrument. You can't bang on the loud cymbal unless the Holy Ghost hits you, takes control of your arm, and hits the cymbal in time for you. Why do we do that with the dance? You can't dance unless the Holy Ghost hits you. Well, I don't, have to, I don't have to have the Holy Ghost hit me to do any of this other stuff. I just do it, and then the Holy Ghost will hit me. You can, put, you can think about that one later. Okay. Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by the tambourine and the harp. This is my request. Don't play a tambourine unless you know how. You drive the worship team nuts. If you don't know how, leave your tambourine at home. I bear the scars of that. For it falls upon the pastor to tell the person they can't play the tambourine. There are people not in our church today because. Verse 4. For the Lord delights in his people. He does what? Wow. He delights in you. Someone should preach about that someday. He crowns the humble with victory. He crowns the humble with victory. 
I mean, I hope you're hearing. I'm almost done, so please hear me because I'm giving you something good here. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouth and a sharp sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them. Watch this. This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. It is my glorious privilege to praise God and to execute vengeance on the enemies of God. Now, again, we're not talking about people. Because somebody's going to see it online and say, here are these militant Christians. Look how awful they are. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about spiritual, spiritual war. That when I worship God, he shows up. When those words come out of my mouth of praise, those words come out of my mouth like a sharp two-edged sword. And they execute judgment on, on the enemies of God. It binds the kings of the enemy's nations. It tears down strongholds and principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places fall down before us when we praise him. All I did was praise. All I did was worship. You see the deal we got? I know it's getting late here and I'm almost done, but you see how awesome this is? Is that we don't think that our praise means that much. That it's the worship time before we go into the, 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 the announcement time, before we go into the prayer time or the message, and then we pray, and then we're going to go have ham for lunch. And it's just a ritual, 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 ritual. We come, we go, we do, we go, we're gone. But listen, we have to get back to that understanding that when I'm abiding in Christ, when my praise goes up, his judgment comes down on his enemies. And his enemies are my enemies, and so therefore he'll just move enemies right out of my way, and I'll just be walking along singing how great you are. Here in the Father's house, lay your burdens down. It's all good. You don't have to be shamed by the devil anymore. You, you praise God, and God comes in and goes, Wah, pow. knocks him right out of your life. The spirit of fear comes upon you. You just start worshiping God. Whoop, pow, fear. That's not mine. You didn't give me that. The enemy comes in and starts telling you, oh, you're no good. You're, you're, you, you're too sinful. You're whatever. No, no, no. I am the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, God, that you love me. The devil comes to you and he says, you can't, you can't, think, of the, you can't think of a song to sing. I don't know a song to sing. The devil's telling me I'm a no good, dirty bum. How about this one? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. How about that? I learned that song when I was seven years old. And it still strikes fear into the enemy. Many people say, I'm going to say this in passing. A lot of people think that that scripture was kind of written in reference to 2 Chronicles 20 when, when they were getting ready to go to war against three armies. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. There's no way they're going to win. They're surrounded. The, the battle's over before it starts. And God says to them, send out the worshipers out in front of your armies and then just have them sing. That, that's, she says hallelujah, but if you were there, you'd probably be thinking that's a stupid plan. 
Maybe the worshipers on the second row behind the spears and the shields, but not in the front row, because what I'm going to do, hold up my drum? A spear coming at me, I'm going to hold up my horn and hope that I catch it? But it says that when they began to praise God, that they didn't even have to fight a battle. All I did was praise. All I did was worship. And the enemy turned on themselves. That's good news. I wish I had more time to talk on that one. Let's move on. So praise and prayer, okay? Praise and prayer. Uh, Jesus, in his, his teaching of the Lord's, the Lord's prayer, he said begin with praise, but then you got to move into prayer too because you got to ask, okay? You have to ask. You praise, but then you have to ask, okay? So I want to say this. There are many different ways to pray, but more importantly than the technique is the time, the time spent talking to God. That's the abiding, Okay? You guys, you all right? Because I, I know I'm fully running late now, but I am almost done, I promise. Okay? Because people are like, well, when you pray, you have to pray like this. You have to pray loud. You have to pray quiet. You have to pray with your hands up. You have to pray on your knees. You have to pray with your Bible open. You have to pray. Uh, you can only pray the prayers that are written in the book. You, you, have to, you have to do this. You have to pray quiet. You have to pray whatever. Listen, more important than any technique of prayer is just that you spend time in prayer. Do you know why that's important? It's important because when you do that, here, here's, another, here's another thing. I'm going to try to blow through my notes real quickly here. When you understand about abiding prayer, it's more than the technique is the time. Because God loves when you spend time with him. Okay? And so when, when you know, I, I, you go to prayer conferences or read books, and it's like, okay, well, when you pray, pray like that. So you try it out for a minute, and then you read this book, and when you try to pray like that, and you try to pray like that, and you try to put all these things together and pray like this, 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 this. And then you just feel like David putting on Saul's armor, and you're like, none of this works. What's wrong with just going before God and saying, God, I'm just right here, and I'm just going to talk to you. And however you lead me to talk to you, I'm just going to talk to you. Okay? Now, here's, here's the important things about prayer. When you pray, you need to know that God is listening. Again, we have wrong, uh, I should have brought this into three different messages. When we pray, when we have a wrong concept of God, then our prayer is not effective. You can't pray an effective, faith-filled prayer if you have a wrong view of God. That's why you start with our God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. You start with him, not with you. Because if you don't understand him, your prayers are, are worthless. And when we pray and we don't believe that God is listening to us, then our prayer is not a prayer of faith because we don't think that it's going to get answered. I know it's late, but this is good. Because I have a wrong view of God. I, I may have to track back and start with, God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. If you need a reason to praise, just think about that and then say, thank you, God, for that. He loves me and all of my good and all of my mess and all of my brokenness and all of whatever I think I have. He loves me. And when I talk to him, I am his son. We are his sons and daughters, and he is listening to us. God is listening to you. Okay? Number two is that God enjoys spending time with you. Wrong views, wrong views. I just said that, and some of you said, not with me. God enjoys spending time with you. What does John 15, 9 say? Jesus said this in John 15, 9. Uh, As the Father loved me, 
I also have loved you. Abide in my love. How does the Father love the Son? I'm trying to give you guys a couple things today that I know are going to be hard for more than one person in this room. Because you've been spending your whole life thinking you're a no good dirty worm. How does the Father love the Son? Unconditionally. What does that mean, unconditionally? Well, it means without condition. I know. What does that mean? What did you say? Agape. A word in Scripture for love that you almost find nowhere else in Greek literature because it became so connected to the Christian church that nobody else could express that kind of love. The Father loves the Son with a love that we cannot ever attempt to try to explain. Their, their love just is love because their DNA is love for each other and is love, period. And then Jesus turns around and says, I love you just like the Father loves me. If, if we'll grab this, I can be, be almost done and go home. How wrong of views do we have about God in our prayer life? He loves me like the Father loves him. We always want to, um, <coughs> somebody, I, I, I'm guessing I know who, got tired of me forgetting my glasses. So I came into this. But here's how we often view God. I, I view him through my sin. And the word says, he loves me, but I can't see that through my sin. And then I can't, I can't see it because I was hurt when I was younger because my, my dad didn't love me, so surely God couldn't love me. So I view that through I was, I was rejected when I was in school and the kids at school didn't like me, and, and so I, I can't do that. I, I was rejected because I can't believe that God loves me because... Because I went to church one time and they didn't like the way that I was wearing my clothes. They didn't like my tattoos. They didn't like my piercings. So that's how I view the way that God looks at me. And we view God through every set of lenses except the one that is clearly in the scripture where it just says he just loves us. So there's nobody in my life that I truly love, that I truly love, that I truly love, that I do not want to spend time with. Right? Even when you don't have the time to hang out with them, you'd be like, man, it sure be cool to be hanging out with them right now. And I can't wait till the next time that I can hang out with them. I truly love my wife. And she's trying to help her parents get ready to move up here. So she's been down there a couple times. I, I, the, the, the ringtone on my phone for my wife when she calls us, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. <laughs> it is the truth. Because I, I hate it when she's gone because I truly love her. I like just hanging out. Don't even have to do anything. Just sit. Just, what did you do last night? We just sat. It was awesome. Because I true if you truly love somebody, you want to spend time with them. 
Do you know that Jesus truly loves you? Therefore, he likes spending time with you. I, I have so I, this should have been three, really. Listen, here's number three. God is listening. God enjoys spending time with you. And God will respond to your conversations. He says, ask what you want when you're in that place. And he's not, he's not giving, giving you what you ask because you're awesome. He's giving you what you ask because he loves you when you're hanging out with him. So here's the last quick thing is, is we abide in Christ through what? Through praise and prayer. Everybody say praise and prayer. Okay, and then here's the last thing very quickly. Through praise and prayer and then through our word and our walk. Our word, the word, and our walk. Praise and prayer, the word and the walk. This is how we abide in Christ. Look at verse 10, 15, uh, 15, 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Okay? Praise and prayer are the way we talk to God. The Bible is how God talks to us. Super good. I'm going to say it one more time, and I'm trying to hurry here. Praise and prayer are the way we talk to God. The Bible is how God talks to us. Therefore, for the believer, it should not be unusual to hear God speak. It should be unusual not to hear God speak. Now listen, God can speak to us many ways. He can speak to us through prophecy, through nature, through the stars, through, through a word of wisdom, through a word of knowledge. He can speak to us in all kinds of ways. One time God spoke to me. I was listening to the song Desperado by the Eagles on my way home from California. And God was just like, oh, I'm driving down the beach. And it was like, oh. God is so awesome. The eagles? They're the devil. God can speak in any way he wants to speak. But God's major chosen avenue that he himself has chosen to speak to us is the word of God. So while we're out looking for the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the, the prophecy, the skies to open back, back, and we see the throne room of God, and we have an open vision, and, and the angels come down and speak to us, just set it aside for a minute and just open the book. We spend hours, oh, God, just give me a word, give me a word, speak to me, God. It's like John 15, is he's talking. He speaks to us through his word. Now watch this. In our discipleship group, we spend a lot of time, uh, in our discipleship group, we spend a lot of time talking about studying the word. And since it's a discipleship group, it's about a discipline. And so we talk about the discipline of reading the daily word. But we have to get to a point where we move from discipline to understanding that being in the word, studying the word, reading the word, memorizing the word is not just a discipline. It's the listening side of a two-way conversation. Anybody hear what I just said? Because if we'll grab this, then I'm going I'm to pray and we're going to go. It's not just a discipline that we do. It's the listening side of a two-way conversation. Because we talk to God through our praise and through our prayer, but then he talks back to us through his word. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hang out. He's listening when you pray, and he's ready to answer you, and most often he's going to answer you through the words on these pages. Now you're like, how is that going to give me an answer to whether I should do this with my job or do that with my job? You'd be blown away by how God can bring a scripture to you that just illuminates where you need to go with your life. It may not say that you need to go from this job to that job, but I guarantee that he can bring a word out of you that gives you a piece that tells you exactly what you need to do. 
how you need to live your life, how you need to treat your wife, treat your husband, how you need to be an employee, how you need to, to pray, how you need to worship, how you need to go to church, how you need to do all of this. It's all right there. And God is talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. God never shuts up, and that's a good thing. I don't ever hear from God. You aren't listening because God never stops speaking, ever. And when we hear him speak to us, then, then it doesn't end with that. We talk to God through our praise and a prayer. He talks to us through his word, but it doesn't end there because our talking to him and his talking to us are completely meaningless unless we walk in obedience to that conversation. That conversation is always going to provoke in us an action. Okay? I'm closing my Bible. You guys with me? I'm closing. I'm done. It's so late. Why do you preach so long, Pastor? I know. Sorry. My talking to him and his talking to me are going to provoke an action. Or else that was wasted time. So I abide in Christ when I'm in praise, when I'm in prayer, when I'm spending time in his word. And then when I take what, all of that that happens in that time and I carry that out into the life that I live. Okay? When we talk about abiding in Christ and prayer, we, we tend to view prayer as just a thing that we do. Like we come in, we spend an hour in prayer or whatever that is. The abiding is not in the hour even though that's a part of it. Or the half hour, the 15 minutes. Whatever you got in you, just do it. But it's not just in that time, that block of time. It's in how you live your life. Because I can roll throughout my life all day, every day, abiding in Christ, even if I'm cleaning the carpet or I'm working on a sermon or I'm going to Walmart to get groceries. I can be abiding in him all the time because I can be talking to him. He could be talking to me. I, could be, I can be worshiping him. I can be praising him, having an attitude about myself. But when he speaks back to me, I have to move. Jesus, Jesus basically says the whole kind of crux of this abiding thing is if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I always say this and then I'm closing. But it's very, very important to recognize that he does not say, if you obey my commandments, you will prove that you love me. It's thoroughly different. It's not if you obey my commandments and you do enough, go to church enough, pray enough, witness enough, do all that stuff, then you will prove that you love me. He says, you obeying my commandments will be the fruit of the love that you have, that we have together. So the abiding, God wants to do two things. He wants to have a love relationship with you, and he wants you to be a conduit of that relationship to others. We do that through praise, we do it through prayer, we do it through the word, and we do it through our walk. Amen? So, I'm going to pray right now. In your notes there, it says the fruit of abiding in Christ is obedience. I just wanted to get that last thing from your notes. Now, I realize that I took too long today on this, but this is important. Because as we progress in talking about prayer, as we progress in our, our corporate prayer meetings and all that kind of stuff, we have to understand that all that flows back to abiding. Okay? Abiding is time. It takes time. 
and it takes time doing those specific things. Now, can abiding be more than that? Yeah, it can be. But if you're in praise and prayer, the word and, and your walk, then you're going to be a person that is abiding in Christ, and you will attract his attention to you, and he will hang out with you too. It's not dead, dry religion. Amen? So I talked too long, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship this morning. I thank you for this word. And um, I pray that even though this, this took a little extra time this morning, Lord, that it would go deep into us, that you would inspire, that you would inspire an abiding in us. Lord, that, that it wouldn't be just a dead, dry word, but it would go out with life and we would be inspired to go to the place of prayer, to hang out at your feet like Mary did. Lord, there are times when we have to do the Martha stuff, when we have to work and minister and, and, and live our lives with our families and do all of that. But Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would birth in us the abiding of Mary. Lord, that we would spend time at your feet. We would spend time in your word, spend time in praise and prayer, not just on a Thursday or in a Bible study or in a, in a, a Sunday morning service, but a daily prayer without ceasing. Lord, and I pray as we, we work towards that in our lives, that your attention would be drawn by us and you would come and hang out with us. Lord, I pray this morning for those that are struggling with the concept of who you really are and who they view you to be. Lord, that you would break down every lie of the enemy, that you would break the, 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 the false mindsets, the, the walls of Jericho that have built around that say that you're not listening and that you don't care and that we're not, we're too sinful to, to, to be in your presence, Lord, that you would break all of those walls down, that you would overcome through your love. Lord, I just ask you to do that. Lord, I know we need to go right now, but I just pray that you would do that right now in this room. God, that you would tear down the false assumptions and the false beliefs the false, the false glasses that we look through, that we don't view you for who you really are. Lord, give us a deeper revelation. Jesus, I pray that you give a deeper revelation that you love us the way the Father loves you. And I pray that you would give us the revelation of the simple. Lord, that the God the Father loves us so much that he sent you to die for us. Lord, the simplest of Christian concepts, but Lord... I, there are still those that battle with that love. And I pray that those walls would just crumble in Jesus' name this morning. That they would crumble in Jesus' name. And that there would be nothing left but an abiding relationship with you. Life-giving branches to the vine. And I thank you for that this morning. As we're leaving to go about our day, Lord, I just pray you bless everyone. That you would keep them, cause your face to shine on them. That you be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance, Lord. Give them peace today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for hanging in this morning.